have uh, been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we are in a series called Heartbeat of the Hill. We've been talking about our mission statement, our vision, and now we are going to unfold six values. And we want these to connect with you in a very real way. And so you'll notice that the icon for this week's value, the crown, is front and center so that it will help lodge that into your mind as it is also up on this banner here. We're going to be walking through one value a week for the next couple of weeks. If our mission statement is why we exist, awakening people from death to life in Christ, and our vision is where we believe God is calling us to go, developing spiritually healthy families and spiritually healthy leaders, our values are who we are becoming. You could also say it is who we are because it is certainly true that these are values that represent who we are already, but I like the idea that it is who we are becoming because we can continue to grow in these values. A value is sort of the idea of something that you feel when you come into a place. Um, it might be something like this. Many of you, if not all of you, have been to the Jesus Chicken Shop, Chick-fil-A, right? And you understand that the value of customer service is felt at Chick-fil-A because they value that. You feel it when you interact with their employees. It is a value that is reflected. And you can tell when you go to another place, of which I will not name any place, when they do not have that same value. Uh, our family recently went to a local uh, place, um, and they, we were in the drive-thru, and they, they had a young man come out to uh, deliver our food because it was, you know, they'd asked us to pull up one of those kind of scenarios, and I asked him if I could get some sauce, and you would have thought that I told him that uh, his puppy had died that day. And the slowness and the, just the pain in which he walked back in to get me a couple of packets of sauce, I thought, I don't think they value customer service here. Does that make sense? And so when we talk about these values, we're talking about who we believe God has made us and who we are becoming as a church. When we talk about these values, we pray that these values are felt not just in worship services, but in kids' ministry and in student ministry and in life group ministry and in missions ministry and in the greeting uh, portions of the services. And when we just gather together for whatever purpose, these values are critical to who we believe God is helping us become. So the very first one we want to look at is this. Christ is the catalyst. Christ is the catalyst. There in your life on outline, you'll notice a catalyst is an agent or person who provokes change or action. That's just like a Webster's Dictionary definition. A catalyst is an agent or person who provokes change or or action. And so with that, you understand that we are saying Christ is the person who provokes 
change in action. And we're going to unfold that from John chapter 15, where we get this from. Just to give you another example of a catalyst moment. I was thinking about this all weekend, and it was really just yesterday that I was reminded of this story. Uh, I guess this football season is coming back around. Many of you may remember uh, after Hurricane Katrina, the Superdome was sort of a symbol of um, just the pain and suffering that the city of New Orleans was going through. And then about a year later, the New Orleans Saints, in the wake of the devastation and the continuing devastation there in New Orleans, were going to have their first home game back in the Superdome. And I don't know if you watch this or not, but you can go back and watch YouTube clips. But there was just an, an energy that was sort of a mix of pain and also hope in that building that night. It was a Monday night football game. And so there was all eyes were watching, uh, you know, high ratings, all those kind of things. And there was just nerves on the field, nerves in the stands. But then a moment happened that looking backwards, the people of New Orleans have said was a catalyst to the city's rebirth. 90 seconds into that football game, the, they, the Saints were playing the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons go three and out, and they are getting ready to punt the football. An unknown, unheralded special teams player named Steve Gleason lines up and just thinks to himself, what if I could block this punt? The ball is snapped. Steve Gleason busts right through the middle, blocks the punt. It bounces into the end zone. Another Saints player jumps on the football, and the stands erupted. And Mike Tirico and Tony Kornheiser were the ones doing the Monday Night Football broadcast. And if you know anything about television, you don't want to have dead air. But they did not speak for 35 solid seconds as all the pain and the need for hope erupted. And cheering went on for around two minutes. And they ended up winning that game 20 to 3. And years later, they built a statue called Rebirth of Steve Gleason punting that football. An unlikely moment, but a catalyst of change for an entire city to go, we are back open for business. We will rebuild. What an amazing moment. And yet, as much as I love football and as great as that was for that city, Jesus Christ has done so much more to be a catalyst of change, not just for one city, but for the entire world. And so with that, this value, Christ is the catalyst. Look with me at John chapter 15. We're going to look from verses 1 through 11. And this is what it says. Jesus is talking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me 
and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or complete. This is such an amazing passage where Jesus is speaking to his disciples And he is describing to them the connection that they should have with him. And he uses this extended metaphor of a vine and branches and fruit to depict what it is like for Christ to be the catalyst in our life. So why is this a value for Harmony Hill? Number one, we need to be reminded that Christ is the true vine. Christ is the true vine. It's interesting that he starts in verse 1, I am the true vine. Now what he means there is this. In the Old Testament, the prophets often used the metaphor of a vine and fruit. But it was always used, in the Old Testament, it was always used as Israel was the vine and they were not producing fruit. They were always being judged. When the, when the vine imagery came out in the Old Testament, it was to say, you are not producing fruit, you are corrupt, you will be taken and thrown out. And so Jesus walks in to say, but I am the true vine. The, the point here I have here is the truth there in your life point outline. Christ is the superior replacement to our human efforts. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel over and over in their own strength could not, could not attain holiness on their own. Over and over, they stumble and fall into idolatry and then the Lord brings them back. Over and over. And a lot of times we look back at the Old Testament and go, why can't they get their act together? But the reality is, is we should look at the Old Testament and go, that's us. In our own human effort, we cannot achieve God's purposes. But Jesus says, I am the true vine. See, this verse is sort of important because sometimes we will take Israel old covenant and we will replace it with the church new covenant that's just trading one group of people for another 
Jesus is saying, I am the replacement. I am the fulfillment of Israel. The church is not the vine. Jesus is the vine. I want to show you a picture of just what type of plant we're even talking about. So let's throw that up there just so you have an idea. Notice the vine is sort of that large trunk and the branches coming off of the vine. And then notice at the huge bounty of the fruit coming off of the branches. I just want you to have that image because I don't know, some of us, if you're like me, I need an image to understand what in the world this metaphor is trying to teach us. And so with this, let me just walk back through these verses, Christ being the true vine. He makes a couple of statements. He says that there are branches that are not bearing fruit and that he gives the imagery that Jesus is the vine but the Father is the vine dresser or the farmer, if you will. And it is the Father who is taking branches that are not producing fruit and he takes them away. And they sort of get tossed over into a pile. And later in the verses, Jesus says, those branches that were not connected to the vine are useless. They're useless. They're only good for firewood. But he says the branches that are connected to the vine bear fruit. And in case we miss it, he then turns to the disciples and go, you are the branches. You are the branches. And he says, now with the, the branches that are bearing fruit, my father, the vine dresser, prunes them. Now there's a play on words happening in the Greek that describes the pruning as sort of cleaning. For those of you that garden, it's the idea of cleaning the weeds out of the flower bed. And so when the vine dresser is pruning, he's cleaning away, he's pruning back. And so then Jesus in verse 3 says, see, now you are clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. What he's saying is this, you've been pruned. You, by the spending the time with me, these three years in teaching, you are now pruned and clean. What he's saying is, you're now ready to bear more fruit. See, the context is that Jesus has already had the Last Supper. Judas has already gotten up from the table to go betray him. And now he's giving these final instructions. And he's saying, you have been pruned. Now you will get ready to bear more fruit. He says, you are the branches. I'm the vine. Abide in me. Remain in me. There's a lot we could say about what does it mean to abide and remain. It, I, I like the word almost that you remain in union with Christ. Uh, as I was studying this week, I couldn't help but think maybe I don't know this, but maybe it's possible that Paul, reflecting on this idea of abiding in Christ, when he's writing in the book of Ephesians about husbands and wives, and he says, there's something about that union between two people becoming one flesh that he just stops and he goes, I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. 
that there's a mystery of faith here that Christ and the church have become in union. There's something about a husband and a wife when they are married that you go, they are connected to one another. And Jesus is saying, stay in union with me. He says, if you abide in me and I in you. This is an assurance. It's an encouragement. He's essentially saying, if you abide in me, know that I will be abiding in you. He says, the words, my words abide in you. His teaching abides, remains, is in union with his disciples. And it bears fruit. Jesus, in this passage, actually says this. And you prove to be my disciples when you bear fruit. I just want to be clear. Jesus is saying one of the evidences that you belong to him, that you are connected to him, is that you are bearing fruit. He's saying branches that don't bear fruit are not connected to me. I just want you to let that sink in. It is to say it does not make sense from God's perspective for someone to claim to be a Christian and not be bearing spiritual fruit. He says that does not make sense. He says abide in me, be in union with me and you will bear much fruit. And when you bear much fruit, my Father receives glory. And then he says, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So that brings me to number two. Not only is Christ the true vine, but only union with Christ produces fruit. Only union with Christ produces fruit. And that second truth there is what I just said. Apart from him, we can do nothing of eternal consequence. That word nothing, we use that in a lot of contexts, but I, I just want us to understand what he means by nothing. See, sometimes someone may say when you come home, if you've had kids and they're rummaging around the fridge or the cupboards and they say, we don't have nothing to eat. And the reality is there's something. There's crackers, there's peanut butter, stale cereal. There's something, but we're saying it's nothing. You ask somebody, can I borrow a couple of dollars? And I, I don't have, I've got no money. I've got nothing. And the reality is, is that probably all of us at least have a few pennies in the cup holder of our car. Or a dime that fell loose in a seat cushion. We say nothing, but there's actually something. You ask someone, what have you been doing this weekend? I've been doing nothing. Well, the reality is they did something. Whether it was sitting there watching TV or watching grass grow or just watching it not rain, watching the thermometer go up, whatever they were doing, they were actually doing something. When we talk about nothing, oftentimes we actually mean just a little bit, but overall nothing. In this passage, nothing means nothing. Apart from Christ, we can do 
nothing. It doesn't mean, but there's a little bit that we can do. It means nothing. This is why this is a value for Harmony Hill Baptist Church. I don't want to be a part of something that is actually producing nothing. I want to be a part of something that is producing something. Where Christ is the catalyst and fruit is bearing. Do you understand that we can have large crowds of people and it equal nothing if we're not abiding in Christ? We can have people on a Bible reading plan and it mean nothing if we're not in union with Christ. We can collect more money than any other Southern Baptist church in our nation and it would mean nothing, not something, not a little bit. There's no credit. It's zero, zilch, not a nothing if we are not abiding in Christ. If Christ is not the catalyst of what we do, it's worth nothing. There's a reason that Jesus gave this, anal or this uh, statement when he said at the, at the judgment, there will be those that say, but Jesus, I preached in your name. I did ministry in your name. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you because you did not abide in me. Everything we do, it is critical that Christ is the catalyst, that we are in union with him so that we bear fruit and that our branch as a church and as families and as individuals is not taken away as useless and thrown on the burn pile. So the opposite of that is apart from him, we can do nothing. Then the next thing would be abiding in him produces much fruit. Abiding in him produces much fruit. At this point, the natural question would be, what does he mean by fruit? If that is sort of the indicator of our union with him, our abiding in him, our connection to him, how do we know if we are experiencing fruit? Well, just from this passage, I want to run through what kind of fruit. Number one or, uh, on this list, it'll, we'll run through it quickly here. The word dwells in us. In this passage, Jesus says, abide in me. And my words abide in you. My words abide in you. One of the fruits of being connected in union with Christ, it's not how many Bible verses you have memorized. But it's that you are saturated by his word. That his words are so in you that your life and actions give evidence of his word being in you. It's not how many times you've read through the Bible. These are checklist things. What he's saying is that the word of Christ dwells in you. Meaning things like when someone is your enemy, because the word dwells in you, you love them instead of retaliate. When a friend 
or a family member injures you, and it's even deep, the word dwelling in us says, I still offer forgiveness because Christ forgave me even more. When the word dwells in you and someone walks through these doors and they look different than you on a social or whatever status that you go, but the word is in me, the book of James, we do not show partiality. God has created every man and woman in his image and they are worthy of my time and my connection and my pointing them to Jesus. The word dwelling in us just seeps out in o- as obedience. So the word dwells in us. Number two, his love dwells in us. Jesus gives the example here. He says, my father has loved me and I have loved you. The, the word and the verb tenses there is that it was a completed process. It is a complete, not lacking love. And he says, I'm giving you the model as my father loved me, I have loved you. You love others. You love others. Jesus, especially in the book of John, John sort of self-monikered himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved rather than giving his own name. And in his gospel and in his letters, the theme of love is so evident. I mean, it's right there at the service and everything that John writes, he's saying, When Christ's love dwells in you, you will love others. That is a fruit that you're connected, you're in union with him. Third, his joy dwells in us. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am telling you all of these things so that my joy may be in you. And that it may be complete or full. One of the fruits of being in union with Christ or abiding in him is that we have joy. Joy, I know you've heard this before, but it's worth repeating. Joy is not based on circumstances. Happiness is. You can be unhappy with circumstances and still have the joy of the Lord in your heart. Things cannot be going your way and you still have a completed joy, Christ's joy in you. See, the vine is what is rushing life into the branches. And it is through the vine's life, through the branches, that fruit is born. Joy comes from being connected to Christ. There is affirmation of salvation. You can see that in verse 8. He says, when you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Sometimes we think that being a believer in Christ is sort of like flipping a coin in a wishing well and just hoping everything works out. Like how do I know? And the Lord is saying, when you are connected to me and you are bearing spiritual fruit, you can know, you actually are giving evidence that you are my disciple. Next, the Father is glorified in verse 8. Again, by this, the Father receives his glory. The Father gains glory. A fruit would be this. By your very life, 
you are worshiping him. Now that can take place in this room at this time on this day of the week. But really, the Father being glorified is something that happens in the life of a believer throughout the entire week. We just do it together when we come in here. But as you bear fruit, as you love people, as you worship him, as you rejoice and dwell on the word that dwells within you, as you experience walking in his joy, you are giving the Father glory and worship. It's an evidence, it's a fruit of being connected to the vine. And then lastly here, we are pruned and found useful. Probably the hardest part of this entire verse or section is that Jesus says that the Father will prune those who are already bearing fruit so that they will bear more fruit. And so there are times when the Lord will cause circumstances or allow circumstances to prune us, to clean us, to reveal sin in us that needs to be removed so that we may bear more fruit fruit. So what I'm saying is this, sometimes going through a difficulty is not an evidence of the lack of your connection to the vine, but it is actually evidence of your connection to the vine because of what God is doing to prune or to weed the flower bed so that you may bear more fruit. If we had time and we don't, I could probably just by a show of hands and put a microphone down here and ask, how many in this room have a story of where God allowed a hardship to come into your life, but you have seen God's faithfulness on the other side of it? Over and over. That's pruning. Because guess what? The, the Word tells us that we do not experience anything that is unique because there are others that need that Word. See, others are doing it apart from the vine. You're doing it in union with the vine. And now you have a testimony of the hope and joy of Christ, even in the midst of whatever that was. And because you went through that, you are now poised for more fruit bearing because you can relate to people in a way that you couldn't have before. That's a fruit of being in union with Christ. Abiding in him, we bear much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so if this is a value of Harmony Hill Baptist Church, how do we express this value in our church? Here's just a couple of ways. Number one, in our worship. In our worship. Specifically as a church, as we gather for worship. This is a value expressed in our worship because we are proclaiming Christ through song, through prayer, and through the preaching of his word. We offer Christ as the catalyst for change. Christ is the one who we exalt, who then brings glory to the Father. In every setting on this hill, our worship should reflect Christ as the catalyst. When our students gather, and by the way, we had 262 students crammed in that building last Wednesday night. 
When, they, when those gather, they gather for a message about how Christ is the catalyst for change in their life, how Christ is the catalyst for identity and joy, etc. When our kids in that building, which we've had an incredible number of first-time visitors and an unprecedented number of volunteers in that building, every time they gather, Christ is the catalyst. Has to be, or it's for nothing. Every time we have life groups meeting, if you're a life group teacher, every time you meet, Christ is the catalyst or it is for nothing. When we send mission teams, they go with a message of Christ is the catalyst. Apart from him, we can do nothing. In every venue, our worship reflects Christ as the catalyst. Number two, our prayers Notice in this passage, Jesus said, if you dwell with my word and you abide in me, ask anything and it will be given to you. Please notice all parts of that phrase. Sometimes we'll just pick out, ask anything and it will be given to you. And we're like, yes, still waiting on that new Porsche or whatever it is. What Jesus is saying is when you are connected to me, when you're so intimately connected with me, in union with me, and your, my word is in you, you are so full of the mission of Christ that your prayers will not be selfish. They will be in accordance to his will. And when it is prayed according to his will, he is happy to answer those prayers. And in fact, it is evidence that we are in unison, in union with Christ because he is answering our prayer. When we end a prayer, and I, I struggle with this as much as anybody, I'll be honest about that, but when we end a prayer, the common way to end a prayer is in Jesus' name, and a lot of times that's like just a quick slap on to the end of the prayer. If we're honest, it's sort of I've prayed, oh yeah, it's in Jesus' name. Christ is the catalyst in our prayer. We must believe that we are in union with him and that prayer is important. When we pray in his name, there's power and fruit-bearing power in that name. And so starting next month, once a month, we're going to have at least a night of prayer. We've done this during Easter. We've done this, you know, when our team was out. But we need to gather to say Christ is the catalyst if we're not praying we can, we can be deceived into thinking we're doing something. And if we're doing anything, again, it's nothing. Not only in our worship and in our prayer, but in our message. And I'm, I'm speaking specifically about the gospel message. Harmony Hill, we will not give out what is termed self-help when people have issues or questions or hurts. We will give them Christ. Christ is the catalyst in our message. Um, when we go and send teams on mission or when we send and train our youth to go into the schools or when you go into your neighborhoods, I pray that your message is that Christ is the one who has the power to awaken people from death to life in Christ. That your message is not, hey, come to church with me and then hope that that will morally cleanse them. Our message is Christ is the catalyst. 
our love, our worship, our prayer, our message, our love. Christ in this passage said in a very, as I mentioned earlier, the Father loved him completely, Christ has loved us completely, and now we must go and love others. Christ being the catalyst means that we must love one another and those who disagree with us, all for the purpose of not convincing them of an argument, but that they will see the love, completed love of Christ that sent him to the cross to die for their sins so that they may be awakened from death to life. And then lastly, our obedience, our obedience. Jesus says, let me show you the gold standard in these verses. I have been obedient to the Father completely. I have shown that I have abided in him and his love by being obedient to him. Now what we are not saying is that we have this list of rules again. Rules don't bring life, but when you are connected to the vine, fruit bearing is I'm connected to life, now I obey him. There's a lot of football players, to go back to that analogy, that have done a lot of push-ups, a lot of stadium runs, a lot of suicide drills up and down the field. Why? Because they love their coach. And their coach asked them to do it, and they loved the game. Not everybody. Some of them were just doing it because they thought it might help them with girls or their parents are living vicariously through them or whatever it might be. But there are some that do all of those things out of obedience because they love the game, they love the coach. And those that are doing it for some other reason usually don't enjoy it, look back on it with disdain or drop out. The same is true with our Father in heaven, with Christ. We obey him because he brings joy. We obey him because he loved us first. We obey him because he awakened us from death into life. And so with that, I'm going to close. But this is our number one value. How do we accomplish our mission? How do we go where God's called us to be? It is by becoming a church more and more that says Christ is the catalyst. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You're so good to us. You have loved us completely. You were obedient to your heavenly Father even to the point of death on a cross so that you may be magnified and glorified. Lord, may we honor you by being in union by abiding in, by remaining in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would not be a church focused on things that we think we can do apart from you because those are in vanity. But God, would you move all of our hearts to know that Christ is the catalyst. Apart from you, we can do nothing, but abiding in you, we bear much fruit. And Father, we want to glorify the Father by bearing much fruit as a church. Forgive us where we fall short. Give us strength to be obedient, to love one another, to worship you, to have joy, to have your word dwell richly within us, to pray according to your will. Lord, 
we thank you because you first loved us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here today. I hope you have a great day. And remember that Christ is the catalyst.